Futures Radio Show, sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for this episode with Oase Bokari. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and YouTube. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Before I play today's interview for you, I want to give a shout out to the great sponsors of Futures Radio Show. CME Group, Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn more about these sponsors and the important things they are doing for Futures Traders, be sure to click on their logos on FuturesRadioShow.com. Today, I spoke with the co-founder and CEO of OpenTrader and founder of eMiniPlayer.net, Awais Bokari. Awais talked to us about how he transitioned from working a full-time job to becoming a full-time trader. He explains his favorite trade setups, process for identifying ranges, trade locations, using volume profile and how he looks at the market holistically and contextually. Last but not least, we talked about what Oase does away from the screens to help him with his performance when he's at the screens. So without further ado, let Oase, me take you right to the interview futures. with Oase. So I originally actually started with stocks back in 2002, and I was introduced to stock trading through one of my friends who was kind of doing it on the side, Started with stocks, spent about six months just, you know, getting into it, total noob, you know, in the market. And I wanted to try all the different markets. So I started with stocks, then I looked at options and futures. And once I discovered futures, it just really spoke to me. The simplicity of it, of trading the same market every single day or the same set of markets every day, as opposed to with stock trading, you know, I was looking for different stocks to trade every morning, and there was a whole routine to just discover the stocks that are moving and in play. So with futures, um, the simplicity and uh, the routine of really getting familiar with a single market or just a handful of markets was um, really appealing. So that's how I initially got into it back in 0203. So you started with stocks. When you were trading stocks, were you working a full-time job? Was it part-time trading? How, how was that? Yeah, I was working a full-time job, and I was going to school in the evenings. And I was trading on top of that. So I started in 2002, did it for about a year and a half. And I was trading any time I could get. You know, Before I went to work, over the lunch hour, in the evenings, I would get up at 1 in the morning to trade Eurex to just get that experience and exposure. And after a year and a half, I just got burned out and I ended up taking a break from trading. And then I didn't get back into it until 07 and 08. So started back up in 07. And this time I just started with futures 
I wanted to do it right and uh, read everything I could get my hands on in terms of books, but really took my time with it. And I was not in a rush to transition from my career in technology to a full-time trader. So I got back in in 07, and then I didn't go full-time until 2010. So during those three years, from 07 to 2010, talk to us about how you started to develop a strategy that fit you and your personality. I would say trial and error and tinkering. So my background is in software development and uh, database architecture. I like to take stuff apart, put them back together. So I started like everyone else with a lot of indicators on my screen, everything I could get my hands on, MACD, RSI, stochastic, you name it. And over time, I wanted to understand how these indicators really worked. And none of them really provided me with a consistent edge in the market. And um, slowly I found volume profile. I don't recall exactly how I discovered it, probably through one of the books, uh, probably through markets and profile is how I uh, got exposure to it. But then even with volume profile, I wanted to, again, take it apart, put it back together, really understand how it worked. And I think it's because of that engineering and computer science background. And it just took a lot of experimentation and it took a lot of time. So it took me over three years to transition from trading part-time to switching to full-time trading. Walk us through a little bit of what was happening with you over that three-year period. Were you trading on SIM? Uh, how much success were you having? I mean, what ultimately gave you the confidence to leave your full-time job and to become a full-time trader? Yeah, I didn't trade on SIM for that long. Um, I just started with a real money account even back in 02. And then when I started back in 07, I spent very little time on the SIM. I just traded small size, but I did it on a real account because I felt that on SIM, I wasn't really developing as a trader because I would trade extremely well on the simulator. And then as soon as I was on the real money account, it wouldn't really be the same. So I wanted to practice on real money, but keep my risk pretty defined, pretty low. So I was trading one to two contracts on a real money account and uh, just trying to develop my skill every single day. But I was very persistent with it. So I took it extremely seriously. I did it every single day from 07 through 2010. Before I went to work, I would prepare for the market as if I were trading full time. And even from work, I would try to put some trades on. And then I would trade in the evenings. And I would do a full kind of recap of how that day played out, write down the key lessons from that, and I have notebooks full of notes. I have you know thousands of charts that I've saved over the years, but it was a very persistent process over those three years. It wasn't like a hobby. It wasn't a you know side thing that I was spending just a little bit of time on. I actually gave it a lot of time, but I took my time with it. Even when I would read books, I didn't rush through reading a book. I would read few pages and then I wouldn't move on until I really understood those few pages. And uh, I just gave myself a lot of time to uh, learn everything I could. Yeah, man, I wish most traders out there would start the way you did. Dabble a little bit, take your time. Don't put a timeline on it. So many new traders get caught up early with expectations, 
wanting results right away. You took your time, you developed a strategy that fit your personality. And it sounds to me as though you, you really didn't have money expectations, right? You were just coming in and you were just trying to learn your strategy, your process. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I wasn't looking to really make money from the markets um, initially. At first, it was really all about learning and experimenting. It was this really fascinating puzzle that I got to solve. And uh, the money was secondary. Hearing you say the money was secondary was a little bit similar to me uh, because I was so young. I wasn't married. I didn't have a lot of responsibility. Were you married? Were you single? I was single. I was in my mid-20s. Uh, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of obligations. So that actually made it really uh, much easier for me to transition from part-time to a full-time trader. And I had a pretty good career in technology. So I had a backup, you know, I had a plan B. I knew that if trading full-time didn't work out for me after a year or so, then I could very easily go back to, you know, pretty nice six-figure job in the tech space. Um, so, you know, there was a plan to it. It wasn't just, uh, you know, burn bridges and <laughs> never look back. Uh, there was, you know, I had a timeline. I knew I was gonna give myself about a year, year and a half, didn't really have a whole lot of obligations, uh, you know, had enough in savings over the years that allowed me to transition. And I didn't have that pressure because I reduced my bills uh, before I went full time. So, for example, you know, I sold a condo I had in downtown Chicago because I didn't want the uh, monthly bills and to actually make a lot of money every month and have that pressure to make a lot of money. So I really reduced my expenses before I went full time, too. And I think that was uh, a big help. Otherwise, maybe after a few months, I might have been forced to go back and get a job. Talk to us a little bit about your strategy, because I know you a little bit. I know that volume profile is a main focus for you. But give us the overview of your strategy. So at the core of it, it's looking at the market very contextually. Um, I do use volume profile, but volume profile is simply one of the tools that I use. It all really starts with understanding the type of environment that the market is in, understanding market structure, and then overlaying the profile to help identify key support resistance areas, uh, understanding where the market is really building value, which prices are getting a lot of attention. So volume profile is a great tool to help visualize all of that, but it's not a trading system or methodology. It's one of the tools that I use. And then, you know, before volume profile, I'm really in tune with the market structure. I'm looking at multiple time frames, what's happening on the daily chart, understanding the bigger pattern that's in play at the moment. That's a big part of it. And then drilling down to the 30 minute and then the intraday. So you start with the daily charts for the bigger picture overview, then you work your way down to the shorter term charts. Can you just walk us through that process a little bit more? Explain to us what you're looking for uh, on those bigger picture charts and then what indicators you're using, if any, uh, on your charts. Yeah, I'm looking at daily charts. I don't really use any uh, technical indicators like moving averages and whatnot. Uh, I'm really just looking at a very clean daily chart. I'm identifying the main ranges that have developed over time on the daily, and then I'm drilling down, and I'm looking at the 30-minute for smaller ranges that are developing over there, identifying key support resistance areas. So trade location 
is a big part of my trading. Identifying key support resistance zones is a big part of my trading. And I'm doing that by looking at the daily chart, drilling down into 30 minute, then down to five minute, even one minute, and then also utilizing volume profile. I'll look at Fibonacci retracements if it makes sense. Again, I think Fibonacci retracement is a nice tool, but it needs to be used in the right conditions. And it all comes back to looking at the market very contextually. Okay, so you look at the daily charts without any indicators and you're just looking to identify ranges and support and resistance trade location. And then you take that same process down to the shorter term charts. But using the daily charts, is that helping you with determining trend or giving you a directional bias? Right. So I'm looking at the daily chart. I'm understanding if there is a trend in play because there might not be. It might simply be range bound. And the way that you would approach a range bound market is very different than the way that you would approach a trending market or a very directional market. So yeah, I'm doing that on the daily, but then I'm also doing the same process on the 30 minute and I'm drilling down and doing the same process on the five minute. And that's what allows me to kind of build a view of the short term, the intermediate term and the bigger picture. And then I'm using the support resistance areas, but by being very aware of what the larger pattern is. So if the larger pattern is very bullish, then I want to either avoid shorting in that type of environment, or if I am shorting, then I want to make sure that it's at a resistance area that is really significant and really important. And I want to avoid the minor ones in between. All right, you've done your homework with the daily you worked your way down to the 30 minute and even the other shorter term charts. Talk to us now how a trade sets up. Take us through that process. What would get you into the market? How does an entry set up? How do you determine stops, targets? Walk us through that. Yeah, so like I said, trade location is a big part of my trading. The key support resistance zones are a big part of my trading. In terms of stop placement, if I'm fading a support or resistance zone, the stop is always going to be two to four ticks behind that zone. Now, in higher volatility markets, I might use a slightly wider stop, but by using very concrete support and resistance areas, I know exactly where my stop needs to go, and that's the invalidation point on that trade. So when it comes to fading support and resistance, the stop is always going a little bit beyond that area of support and resistance so that the trade really has a chance to work out. Now, if I'm trying to go directional and I'm going with the market, let's say that the market is not neutral, that it's actually bearish or bullish, then in real time, I'm trying to identify invalidation points where the market should not get to if it's going to continue to be directional. So all of my trades start with the invalidation point. I need to know where I'm wrong. I need to know where the stop goes. And then based on the stop, I'm able to figure out what a good enough entry could be on that trade idea. And then I know what the target is. And then lastly, I'm looking at, is the risk reward good enough to justify that trade idea? So I look for a minimum of two to one reward to risk. And by identifying the stop and target, I can figure out which entry is gonna give me that minimum. And if it doesn't give it to me, then I'm perfectly happy just sitting on the sidelines and waiting for the next setup. Hey everybody, I wanna take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. 
The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures, contract symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you use volume profile and if you're using any other indicators, how you use those as well? Yeah, so volume profile I use more heavily in my pre-market prep. And uh, during the day, I'm aware of any low volume areas and high volume nodes that can act as intraday real-time support and resistance. I'm also looking at how that profile is developing, but I'm much more in tune with the market structure of the day. So for example, on my five minute or smaller time frame chart, it's a fairly clean chart. I have the VWAP on there. I also look at market internals or market breadth indicators like the New York Stock Exchange advanced decline and the New York Stock Exchange tick, which uh, I use as a momentum gauge. And then I have the zones on my chart. So because trade location is such a big part of my trading, visualizing those zones in real time is very helpful. So I know where I'm going to get in and where I'm going to get out. And uh, the profile is a way to help me build those support and resistance zones. It sounds to me as though your strategy is very discretionary, right? You do your daily homework down to the 30 minutes, down to the shorter term charts. You're looking at volume profile, you're determining your levels, and then you're executing based upon what you're seeing. It's discretionary, but over the years, I've been able to make it more systematic. Uh, so yeah, of course, it's not a mechanical approach, right? Yeah. Definitely. It is a discretionary approach. But over the years, I've been able to develop some pretty specific trade setups. When I first started, I didn't have that. It was kind of seat of the pants, you know, just trade kind of what you feel the market's doing or where you think it's going. But uh, over the years, I've been able to make it a bit more concrete. And now I have just a handful of trade setups that I look for. Okay, so you have a handful of trade setups that you look for. Can you share with us what those are? Absolutely. So mainly I'm looking for either zone fades. So that's where the market is coming into a support or resistance zone. And I'm really just leaning on good trade location and fading that area of support or resistance. So I'm either buying support or shorting resistance. The other setups are I'll look for breakouts and breakdowns from trading ranges. And the third type of setup that I look for is a pullback continuation setup and that is probably the more riskier setup or the setup that I think more traders get wrong. So if I really had to focus on just two types of trades, it would be zone fades and breakouts and breakdowns. Those are the safe trade setups for me. And with these trade setups, I'm assuming that whatever you're seeing in your daily homework, giving you your directional bias, is most likely going to tell you what you're going to be looking for during the day. Yeah, the directional bias is going to tell me which side I'm really going to focus on. So if the short term and the intermediate term for me is bullish, then I'm going to be much more focused on buying support rather than shorting resistance. And in that situation, I'm going to use the resistance zones as targets to get out of my longs rather than spots to short the market. So yeah, the directional bias is a uh, very important piece. I think this is one of the things that so many new traders get wrong. They get so focused on the short term that they don't 
recognize what's happening on the bigger picture. I can't tell you how many people have told me, you know what, Anthony, I'm, I'm trading intraday. What do I need to look at daily charts for? Um, and, and I've always said as much as I've traded intraday without looking at the daily charts first, I wouldn't have a clue as to which way during the day I should be trading bigger, smaller, or not at all. I need to know what the bigger picture trend is. So if something's setting up on the bigger picture, I'm not fading it and getting run over. I'm trying to go with it, you know, or if something's underway um, within a trend and everything's supporting that in the short term, that I, I really try and pound it going in that direction. Is, is that similar to the way you're thinking, you know, using that directional bias to help you intraday? That's exactly right. And based on that directional bias, your targets are going to be affected too. So yep. if I'm going against the directional bias, it, there might be a good trade that might set up even against the short-term directional bias, but I'm going to manage that trade very differently than a trade that is in alignment with the directional bias. So I think a lot of it also comes down to just that awareness and knowing the type of trade that you're taking, because they're not all going to be treated the same. I mean, <laughs> anybody that follows me on Twitter, I just actually put a tweet out the other day where I talked about this. Not all trades are the same. Not all days are the same. If you're a discretionary trader like you and I are, I mean, we do both have this approach that we've refined. So it's not like we're coming in and just discretionary everything. We have a process, but right. knowing that directional bias, and I think this is such an important point that you're making today with your process, with your strategy is you know what the bigger picture is doing in your market. So when it comes down to the intraday, if you see something that was happening on the bigger time frame, you are not going to step in on a bullish breakout on a daily chart. And all of a sudden you're going to take a full position short as your first trade of the day. Exactly. I'm not looking short at all. On that or type at all. Of day. Yeah, exactly. I'm only right? looking for longs on that type of day. Exactly. Yeah. And just by doing that, you're saving yourself all the little losses that you're going to get. But more importantly, there's an opportunity cost to being on the wrong side of the market. Because if the market's breaking out from a daily range and you start shorting it, not only are you taking maybe small losses, but then you're missing out on that big move. On the big so move to the not, upside. Yeah. So there's an opportunity cost to it. So when you account for that, it's actually a pretty big deal. Yeah, and something I've heard you talk about is how directional bias is not the same as trend. And you believe it's very important for traders to really know the difference. Yeah, so directional bias for me is really informing how I'm going to trade that day. Whereas trend is one piece of information that I take into account when I'm developing the bias. So the trend helps me develop the bias but they're not the same because the trend might be getting a bit overdone, for example. So the market might be trending higher, but let's say it's now getting very close to some really strong areas of resistance. Well, even though the trend might be up, because it's heading into a really strong area of resistance, my bias is not going to be bullish anymore. Now I'm going to switch my bias to either neutral or I might even go bearish if it's a really significant area of resistance. So that's the difference between trend and bias. The trend is kind of showing you what's already happened and the bias is a little bit more forward looking and it takes more pieces of information into account, trend being one of them. I know you come in each day with 
a directional bias, bullish, bearish, or neutral. Talk to us about how you would trade a day with a neutral directional bias. So when it comes to directional bias, it can either be bullish, bearish, or neutral. And I think that neutral part is really important because a lot of times the market may not be in a situation where one side is purely dominant. It might be that the market is just balancing in a range. And with the S&P especially, it spends a lot of time balancing and just being range bound. So on a recent day, our short-term bias was neutral. The market opened and it went down into an important area of support. And I had a resting buy order at that area of support because it was a significant zone. And I knew that if it held, then the market could just continue balancing in the recent 20 or 30 point range. So that's a key inflection point for me in the market where I'm prepared to take a full loss on that type of trade because the reward to risk is quite good. Even if it works half the time, I know in the long run, I'm going to come out way ahead. And then I know that if it doesn't work, that's okay too, because that gives me information as well. If the zone doesn't hold, then the bias may be changing and then I'll start trading from the short side. But by default, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to that support area because it's an important zone and I'm just going to buy it because the market is just in a range. So until it breaks out of that bigger range, my focus is going to be on fading the support and resistance zones. And having that resting order is a great way to get involved in the market. So a lot of discretionary traders are purely relying on that real-time point and click. And what allows me to get in at some pretty incredible prices is actually just having a resting order in the book and letting the market hit me. Because the reality is that the prices that are really good, the market doesn't spend a lot of time there. If you're waiting for the market to get there and then you're going to kind of analyze something in real time and then you're going to make a decision, you're probably going to be late to the game. So if the location is good enough, if the zone is strong enough, most of the time it makes sense to just have a resting order there. And that's how you can get involved at some of the best prices. And if you're waiting for it, then you're either going to have to chase it or use a bigger stop. In any case, it's not really going to be the best approach. When you say you're working in order at an area, are you typically all in at once or are you sometimes scaling? I'm all in at once, but then I will scale out. So when it comes to entry, what I've found is that if I try to scale into a position, and I've tried doing that, I've tried all of this stuff over the years, you know, scaling in, scaling out, everything in between. The problem is that when you're scaling into a trade, at least for me, on the really good trades, the market doesn't give you all of your fills. So you're going to be undersized on your best positions. And it's guaranteed that you will get all the fills on the trades that don't work. So your losses are always going to be full size, but some of the best winners might not actually be filled if you're scaling into it. So for me, the approach of going all in and then scaling out works much better. We talked a lot today about your process, your approach, your execution, and a lot of it is very simple and I love that. What is it that separates you from other traders using these tools? What is it that gives you your edge in trading? 
I think it's looking at all these tools and using them in the right context. So being aware of multiple pieces of information, right? Not just looking at one tool, not just giving weight to the profile and not looking at anything else. It's really looking at the markets holistically and being aware of the positioning of market participants, or at least what I think the positioning of market participants is. Also looking at the charts through that lens of market participants, understanding when one side might be caught on the wrong side, which can usually result in some bigger movement. Uh, but it really comes down to understanding market context and not looking at things mechanically, but more holistically and contextually. Last question before we get into rapid fire. I can't really go a show these days without talking about a trader working on their mental and physical health. Are you doing anything away from the screens to help you with your trading performance when you're at your screens? I think working out is definitely a huge help. So I try to work out at least three days a week. And aside from that, I have a 15 month old at home. And uh, I think just spending more time with him is actually really helpful. Even for my trading, uh, it actually just helps me become a better trader and uh, be better in all areas of life. But uh, most of my time is spent uh, with the baby and um, outside of trading, I think you know being physically active is really important. I live in Southern California, so you know we have pretty nice weather throughout the year. So taking a walk is really helpful. Kind of helps put a lot of ideas together. So yeah, that's that's definitely very helpful in trading. That's awesome. Uh, the baby helps you completely unplug, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, rapid fire questions next. You ready for those? Let's do it. All right, everybody, our rapid-fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. First question, what trader has influenced your life the most and why? My trading and business partner, Ziad Masri, would be the one who's affected my trading the most. Um, even though we developed as traders individually, when we got together, we found out that our methods are very similar, but of course, not the same. So he filled in a lot of the gaps that I had, and I helped him fill in the gaps that he had, and he's amazing at trading trend days. So after really collaborating with him, I got much better at really capitalizing on trend days. What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading? Being overly precise and aiming for perfect entries and exits. And I think part of that is because of my background in software development and computer science, but I really wanted to have this high level of perfection and precision in my trading. And that meant that I missed out on a lot of very good trades. So that was a challenge that I had to overcome and be okay with entries that were good enough. You know, that weren't the perfect entry, but they were good enough. How has your trading process evolved over the years? Well, I trade less now. So the focus is on quality over quantity. When I first started, I was trading a lot. And uh, these days I have maybe two or three trades a day. And that's a fairly active day. On a lot of days, it's only one or two trades. And... The method has also become 
much more concrete. And even though I'm a discretionary trader, the method has become more concrete and systematic over time. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? The ability to make decisions with incomplete information and the ability to hold to opposing pieces of information in your mind and weigh them appropriately and still make a decision. Because most of the time, the market is not going to give us 100% clarity. You know, we're dealing with gray areas. And if you can't make a decision with not having all the pieces of information in front of you, it's going to be very difficult to execute. Favorite book about trading? The Market Wizard series. Because not only do they expose you to different styles of trading and different methods, but they're also very motivating when you see and read all these stories of traders who also struggled just like you and spent years and then ended up being quite successful. So it's a nice way to learn about the markets, but then also get motivated and uh, really help you to keep going and be persistent. If you had to pick one profession other than trading, what would it be? Well, for me, I think it would be a profession that I was in prior to trading, which was software development and database architecture, because again, it's kind of like solving a puzzle, even when you're dealing with a big software system. And uh, that was something I really enjoyed. I had a 11 or 12 year career in technology before I switched to full-time trading. And if I wasn't trading, then I'd probably be doing something in the technology space. What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading? Trust the process. Focus on the process and don't worry so much about the short-term results. And having a trust in yourself as well and trusting the process and simply executing the process and giving it time to work out, not being overly critical on yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would it be? I'd say perfect is the enemy of good in trading because I was shooting for this perfection when I got into it and I was trying to get you know these perfect entries and exits and I was just being really hard on myself. So when it comes to trading, usually good is good enough. You know, as long as you're in kind of generally in a good area, as long as your entries are good enough, that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be, maybe I was shooting for too high of a win rate, but uh, I think perfection is the enemy of good in trading. At least it was for me. If you had an elevator pitch me your edge in trading, what would you say? Looking at the markets contextually, having the ability and having a process that allows me to assess the market environment and whether it's a trending or directional environment or a two-sided balancing environment and then knowing what type of setups to employ for that environment is really what's giving me my edge. Last question for today. Favorite thing to do when you're not trading? Outside of trading, most of my time is spent with family. So outside of trading, most of my time is spent with my 15-month-old son and uh, traveling. So we used to travel a lot more before the baby, but now that his, uh, you know, getting closer to a year and a half old, I think we're going to start traveling with him more as well. So outside of trading, I'd say he pretty much occupies 90% uh, of my time. Oase, where could people find you on Twitter? And I know you have a couple of websites. So what are the websites can that people can go to learn more about you? 
Yeah, so on Twitter, they can follow me on eMiniPlayer, and uh, they can check out my work at eMiniPlayer.net, and then we have uh, some education programs available at OpenTrader.com. Always, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on Futures Radio Show today. Hey, thank you. It was a blast. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you have any questions or comments for myself or my guests, please visit futuresradioshow.com and sign up to be a premium member for free. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes.